served with hoorah. You don't know how you're supposed to earn it or what to do with it or how to keep it. You're a freak with a dark, shameful secret. But you're not the only one. Get your hidden financial fears with a blast of sun. Now your healing has begun. It's Bad With Money with Gabby Dunn. Hello, I'm Gabby Dunn, and this is Bad With Money. Did you know that if you work at Starbucks, you can have your tuition paid for Arizona State University if you're eligible? It's true. If you go to starbucks.asu.edu, you can see how U.S. employees working part-time or full-time can have 100% of their tuition covered if they go to ASU. It's a program called SCAP, Starbucks College Achievement Plan. It provides scholarships as well as reimbursement for bachelor's degrees, and you can take classes entirely online. I know, I was surprised to hear about this as well. In 2014, Starbucks, which had previously offered some form of this for other colleges as well, struck up an exclusive deal with ASU. The program actually took off in December of 2017 when 3,000 students graduated through SCAP. In April, ASU announced they were further partnering with Starbucks to create research centers called the ASU Starbucks Center for the Future of People and the Planet, which sounds like something either sinister or straight from a Disney movie. The first center is supposed to open this month, and every description of it I could find was more convoluted than the last. It looks like they're going to be researching how to innovate Starbucks stores for the people and the planet and the future. Of retail coffee, I guess. The arrangement allows for Starbucks to open nine establishments on ASU's campus, quote, focused on innovation in the design and operations of coffee retail stores, end quote, according to dailycoffeenews.com in April 2021. So this is something that ASU has done in the past, too. They, they set up these sort of mock retail situations that are real stores or are real businesses, but it's used to teach students about running a business. So I know that it sounds confusing, but it kind of makes sense. An EdSurge.com article from July 2019 written by Rebecca Koenig said, The program's generous terms, such as extending tuition benefits to part-time workers after only a few months on the job and allowing employees to choose their majors among nearly 80 subjects, made it unique when it kicked off in 2014 and won it plenty of attention, including a cover story in The Atlantic. Today, the program has plenty of peers with other major companies, including Walmart, Disney, Taco Bell, and JetBlue, offering college support programs of their own. Some students interviewed for this edsurge.com piece talked about how it was a lot of work to balance it all. But in the end, working at Starbucks did eliminate student debts and also prevented student debts. Is it worth it to trade work for college? Something that happens within the college's sphere under work-study is now, as reported, being picked up increasingly by employers. It feels like something from the A Boring Dystopia subreddit, which I follow and describes itself as a subreddit for chronicling how advanced capitalist society is not only dystopic but also incredibly boring. Is an employer covering the huge tab of an employee's education a heartwarming and good development, or is it just another way to keep people in jobs they hate so they can have a modest chance of economic mobility and education, which should be a human right? Look, aren't you guys glad this show is so uplifting? I don't want to be this way. I want to be someone who sees the nice article about the child selling lemonade for the grandma's heart surgery and not immediately think we need universal health care, but here we are. This is who I am. And if you're trying to get a free or free-ish education in this country, consider what employers might help you pay for it. 
That's right, we're back to basic human rights being something that helps corporations. We did it again, guys. Woo! My first guest this week is Patricia Roberts. She is the Chief Operating Officer of Gift of College, Inc., a crowdfunding sort of platform that allows friends and family to give the gift of college, money, to a student and also enables employers to offer, as a voluntary benefit, support for employees who are saving for college and or paying down student loan debt. That's how they describe themselves. My second guest is my sister-in-law, Amber DeChambeau, who joined the Navy so she could afford to go to medical school. I recall her being away for months at a time, something my brother hated, and I wanted to have her on the show because she's someone close to me in my life who traded hours and labor and freedom for free or free-ish schooling. She's a doctor, a radiologist, with no debt. But what did that look like for her in real life? When I first asked Amber to come on the show, she was reluctant. She said she might not have only nice things to say about the Navy and her time there. I think it's important for anyone considering one of these options to pay for school to see it from all sides. Plus, bad with money isn't exactly a military recruiter's office. So I hope this episode presents some facts and arguments that are helpful to people looking into how to trade work for school. Let's start with Patricia Roberts. I am Patricia Roberts. I have spent the last 23 years educating families about how to plan ahead for the cost of higher education. I'm also the author of Route 529, A Parent's Guide to Saving for College and Career Training with 529 Plans. So what is a 529 plan? Well, a 529 plan is named after Section 529 of the Internal Revenue Code, much like you hear about 401k plans or 403b plans. Section 529 allows individuals to save for higher education expenses, a wide range of higher education expenses, on a tax advantage basis. And what that means is that when individuals put money into a 529 plan, and it grows in value, those earnings are not taxed as they grow, as traditional investments and bank accounts, as you know, Gabby, um, often you get that tax statement at year end, you have to pay tax Mm -hmm. on the interest or earnings, not with 529 plans. And in fact, as long as the money that's invested in the 529 plan is withdrawn and used for a wide range of higher education expenses, those earnings are never taxed. And that's what's different about 529 plans. And then beyond that, over 30 states, I think it's 34 or 35 right now, give residents a state tax deduction Mm -hmm. or credit as an incentive to save for higher education. So there's these are these plans that are earmarked for a particular purpose with wonderful tax advantages to them. And that's what 529 plans are. Who is eligible? Anybody? Anybody. What's great about 529 plans is anybody in the US, I should say. Yeah, yeah, Any yeah. adult who's a resident or resident alien who has a tax ID number or a social security number can open a 529 account. There are no income limits. There are no time limits. Some investments have a period of time in which you have to use the funds, not the Mm -hmm. case with 529. And what many people don't know, Gabby, is that you can open them for yourself. Perhaps you want to pursue an additional degree. You can open it for a child if you happen to have a child or a future child. You can put it in your own name and then change it to the child when they arrive. Or 
anyone. You don't need to be related to the beneficiary. A lot of people think with 529, it's got to be your child. Not the case. We got a lot of aunts and uncles and relatives who aren't even, and people who aren't even family, saving for the benefit of a future student. So lots of flexibility with these plans. So you were talking earlier off mic about helping employers understand that they should be helping their employees with the cost of higher education. Why is that important? And what are you up against when you're like explaining this to people? (laughs) Well, employers seem to understand that their employees are stressed out and overwhelmed by the cost of higher education. Mm -hmm. That seems to be something that's very well understood. Why is it important to talk to employers? Because of the stress that employees are under, they're oftentimes distracted. We know that both physical and financial health are interrelated. So we have people Mm -hmm. who really are feeling quite crushed. Another reason to help employees is that it's really a diversity, equity, and inclusion issue as well. Oftentimes, those who are most encumbered by student loan debt are women. Mm Two-thirds of the debt are women. And persons of color. Blacks, Mm -hmm. in particular, have a higher amount of student loan debt and a greater difficulty paying it back. So employers who are concerned about the well-being of their employees and who are cognizant of the fact that we are in this great resignation really should want to consider at least polling their employees to find out, is this a concern for them? And to the extent it is a concern, to find a way to help, and there's a number of ways they can do so. It is good business to have employees who want to stay on with you, who are feeling good about themselves, who Mm -hmm. are not distracted. For all those reasons, it's important for employers to consider benefits around higher education. So what are some of those those benefits? What are some of the ways that employers can help? There are a number of really great ways for employers to help with these higher education expenses. One is to offer help with the cost of tuition. Oftentimes, employers have tuition reimbursement plans, and those are great in that the employee chooses what form of education they're interested in pursuing, and pursuant to some plan that the employer has in place, they can get a certain amount of the cost reimbursed under certain circumstances. Perhaps you need to have a B or better as the grade, Mm -hmm. or it's got to, maybe in some cases it has to be related to your job, other cases not. That's one way. So that's a tuition reimbursement plan. Another way, which is you've seen in the news probably a lot more lately, is some employers, I think Walmart is an example, are outright paying for higher education. Mm -hmm. They are allowing employees to take courses at designated institutions or institutions that they've aligned with online or otherwise, and they are providing the cost. So the employee is not laying out any money. It's the employer that's covering it in full. Another way, so a third way employers can help, is to repay or help an employee repay student loan debt that they've Mm -hmm. taken out before coming to the employer, or while they're at the employer for that matter. And there was a change at year end last year, first under the CARES Act of 2020, and then under the Appropriation Consolidated Appropriations Act at year end 2020, that now allows employers to repay up to $5,250 a year per employee tax 
free. Wow. And that provision is in effect till January 1, 2026. So many oh. employers, I know, and many employers, Gabby, don't know that they can help employees repay student loan debt tax-free for this five-year period. And I'm trying to get the word out about that. Many employees don't know to ask their employer about mm -hmm. this. And the way that comes about, I just want to be clear, is under these traditional tuition reimbursement plans, under Internal Revenue Code 127, Educational Assistance Program, sometimes more commonly called tuition reimbursement, we just talked about that a minute, ago, a minute ago, now those plans can be expanded to include student loan repayment. So it's really low-hanging fruit for any employer who already has an IRC 127 educational assistance plan for mm -hmm. tuition reimbursement. They can now, with a simple amendment, amend that plan to allow for student loan repayment assistance. And it's pretty simple to do. If they don't have a plan in place already, they can put one in place. That's not that hard either. But it's important to know that there's this opportunity to have your student loan debt repaid by your employer tax-free to you. And it's great for employers, Gabby, because employers, not only does the employee not have to pay tax on it, the employer doesn't have to pay tax right. or unemployment mm -hmm. on those earnings. And it is a business tax deduction for employers. So now is the time. If an employer's been wondering about helping with student loan debt, now's the time to look into it. And I want to tell you two other ways that employers can help with higher education expenses. I personally encourage employers to not only pay down student loan debt to the extent they are able to, but to help employees avoid it in the first place. And one of the best ways to avoid student loan debt is to learn how to save in advance for higher education expenses. And like right. nearly 65% of Americans don't know what a 529 plan is. So for an employer to provide education on 529 college savings plans, and then ideally maybe a match or a contribution to them oh. to incent employees to get started is a great way. And there are a growing number of employers that are starting to do that. They're educating their employees about 529 plans and they're starting to help them save within it. Some are just doing a $100 one-time contribution. Sure. Others are doing 50 or 100 a month, but whatever it is, it's really helping them. And then there is one last way that employers can help, which is to, a lot of employers have these rewards and recognition programs. So if an oh, employee, yeah. employee goes above or beyond the call of mm -hmm. duty, or they're there for five or 10 years, or perhaps they're welcoming a new addition to their household, the employer oftentimes gives a gift or a contribution to acknowledge whatever that achievement was. And employers are starting to now give a contribution to a college savings account or to a student loan account to acknowledge a job well done. My firm happens to have, I think you know I'm with a firm called Gift of College. We have yeah. gift cards that employers are buying and using for this very purpose. So those are five ways, the tuition reimbursement or outright payment, repaying student loan debt, saving for college with the 529 or offering like gift cards or other incentives for employees, yeah. yeah. Like if you're an employee, what's the question? Like how do you start? How do you mention this? I would say 
to the extent an employer surveys the employee base ever about how things are going or any feedback. I don't know if there's still suggestion boxes, maybe virtual ones these days. I would, mm -hmm. I would definitely raise the issue of it being something of importance. Maybe somebody mm -hmm. pulls an article that they've seen and they bring it by their immediate manager's desk or virtual conversation mm -hmm. or send it along in an email. I think letting the employer know that this is something of importance to you because it's not one size fits all with employees. You know, right. one benefit may be valuable to one employee and another not so much. They don't need or they don't want the ping pong table or the free lunch. <laughs> they would much rather something else or maybe they mm -hmm. need, you know, elder care assistance or some other form of help. But I think right. the employer doesn't know unless the employee speaks up. I also think, I mean, I think you'd be a bit of a hero for alerting your employer to something they didn't know about. If they don't know about these changes to student loan repayment assistance and that until the start of 2026, it can be tax-free and the employer can mm -hmm. get a tax break, I think you'd be, you know, commended for coming forth <laughs> and sharing that information. Why not, right? I, yeah. I think that's probably the best approach is to just share what's happening. There's no downside to it. You know, and employers want educated employees. They want mm -hmm. people with these skills and with these degrees or certifications. You right. know, there's a cost that comes with that. And, you know, while I'm sure many people are happy to pursue their degrees, they're a little bit stressed out paying them back. So I think mm -hmm. it's worth the conversation. And I'd love to see more and more employers. And I am, through my work, seeing employers are of all sizes in many different industries really starting to consider this and a number of them are doing it and they're doing it for different reasons some are truly motivated by the well-being of their employees others mm. maybe want to list it on their list of benefits to become a little more right. competitive others really do see this as a diversity equity and inclusion issue if we think about that and disabled employees the the silent d and d e and yeah. i you know often are really overcome by you know the, the amount of student loan debt they have so if you can get them to think about it from that perspective as well i think it's very helpful and you know i I do think some employers just want to do the right thing. They're just not so sure what employees really need. What are some places that already do this? I hear a lot about Starbucks. I asked some of my fans, I pulled some of my fans, they were talking about Starbucks had something uh, used to or maybe still does have a connection with Arizona State. Like, what are some places that have these sort of connections and what are they? Yeah, I actually pulled a list and I brought it up here. I know Walmart is doing something with Guild Education. Amazon seems to have something where they're reimbursing tuition as well. I know McDonald's does. Target, I think, very committed to education, helping, I think, not only with higher education, but with GEDs. And I know through my work, I don't know that I'm permitted to say the type of companies, but I can tell you they're from really small, like mom and pop shops to really wow. big companies. And they're doing it in all sorts of ways, but they're doing it in whatever way they can. And I think it's admirable. I think we've got to start somewhere. And the more you and I are talking about this mm -hmm. and it's in the press and people are thinking about it, I think the better because it will get employers thinking about the importance of helping with this. People people are crushed 
it's stressful, right? I mean, it's hard to yeah. pay it back. Yeah. Parents really need to talk to their children about mm -hmm. what the available resources are and what are the consequences of going to an unaffordable dream school. That dream school that nobody can afford will become a nightmare for many when they're paying yeah. that debt back over 10, 20, 30 years. And mm -hmm. a lot of people are reaching retirement and they still haven't paid back the debt. So we, it's really stressful. So we've got to start on the front end about talking about making sensible decisions, learning how to save, even if you save a little at a time. And I got to say, this student loan crisis is causing people to not save for retirement. Mm -hmm. It's it's like this multi-generational nightmare. So people are not saving for retirement. They're certainly not saving for their own children if they go on and have children or have young children in their life who they care for. They can't help them because they can't even get their mm -hmm. own stuff paid off. They're oftentimes not buying homes. It's yeah. one thing after another. Or if they do manage somehow to save for retirement, but they haven't saved anything for their kids' college because they were paying back student loan right, debt. Right, right, right. Now they're in their retirement years borrowing from their retirement, and now they're like potentially dependent on their children because they didn't plan ahead. I mean, this is all interrelated, and we've got to do better. Are there any employers that do this with like paying back your child's tuition or giving you money for your child's education? Well, those who are helping employees save for education are helping them, in many cases, save for themselves as adult learners or their children. They're very open to that. One firm I know in particular is matching $100 to each college account, and they're not requiring that the employee even be related to the beneficiary. In terms of paying down student loan debt, I believe under that IRC 127, that new provision that allows for the tax-free repayment, it does mm -hmm. need to be a student loan of the employee for the employee's education, yeah. But if employers wanna help with student loan debt outside of the tax-free realm, I think they can help in any way they want. It just, when you get into those provisions under the Internal Revenue Code, you have to follow exactly what they say in order for them to be tax-free payments. Does that make sense to you? Yes. It does seem like it would retain employees. It also seems like it would it would keep employees working at a specific place. I know I spoke to a lot of fans of mine who were like, oh, I didn't like my job, but I stayed because they were keeping me in college, which is honestly like, you know, that it that is like something that employers could keep in mind, you know, in terms of like retaining people or retaining like a young workforce. So you work for Gift of College. How does that work and what are the fees associated? Sure, so I had mentioned the gift cards to you a bit ago. There's a yes. fee over face value on these. These are sold in retailers around the country. In fact, on our website, giftofcollege.com, you can look for them. I, much like Amex or Visa cards, I think it's from 395 to 595, depending on the value of the card. When we sell them for to employers, we have a lower fee on them. It's, it's less than that. But for the employee benefit platform that we have, the payroll deduction to student loans or 529 accounts, the fabulous education that goes along with it, and the ability, the capability for the employer to match or contribute, we charge per eligible employee, and it depends on the size of the employer. 
Where can people find out more about you and, and your work and about the stuff that you want them to know about? Sure. Well, as I mentioned, my book's called Root 529, so R-O-U-T-E. I'm on Amazon and elsewhere that book can be found. My firm's name is Gift of College, so giftofcollege.com. Employers can contact me through that website or employees. If somebody's wondering, like, what are the words I should say? I'd be happy, really happy to help. Next, we'll hear from my sister-in-law, Amber DeChambeau, about trading 14 years of her life for free med school. Hi, my name is Amber DeChambeau, and I am a physician. I used to be in the Navy for 14 years. I am now out. I got out last June. So when you realized that you wanted to be a doctor, did you look at any other ways of paying for it? Oh, absolutely. I did not come from a family of means. My family was not going to be able to put me through even undergrad. Um, And so I had to find alternative ways. And so I I looked for anybody and everybody that was handing out money. (laughs) And how did you land on the military? Um, I think like a lot in your life, it's timing, right? Right place, right time, right person. So I, I, the options I was looking at weren't going to fully pay for things. And so I was still going to end up with a lot of uh, loans on the back end. And I was, you know, kind of looking for something that wasn't going to still require me to have a ton of loans. And it, it kind of just worked out. I was the first person in my family that had joined the military other than, you know, grandparents who had been drafted. Uh, so it was kind of totally out there. And, and my family was, I think, shocked at first, but then they were probably happy they didn't have to help me flip the bill in the long run. So <laughs> they were very supportive. So what was the the split or what was the payment? Like what, what was the Navy offering? So, um, and this is to, oh gosh, 98, 99. So long, long time ago. And I know the program has, has since changed. Uh, but whenever I was going through, you had a, I think they had a two-year, three-year and a four-year scholarship option. And so basically, you know, they would pay your tuition, your books and fees for whatever years you signed up for. And then you then owed them that amount in return. So I signed up for the four year because medical school is four years. And I thought, you know, if I'm going to be doing this and having a commitment on the back end of my time, like, why am I going to only have them pay for a portion? And it still didn't pay for everything because, um, as I'm sure your astute listeners know, higher education is astronomically expensive. And so even with them paying, you know, tuition and fees, I still had uh, a lot of -of out-of-pocket costs, but it was certainly much more manageable than uh, if I were, you know, just going it alone. So you were in school, you finished school, and then what happened? So when you are in medical school and in this particular program, which is called the Health Profession Scholarship Program, they pretty much leave you alone. You do have to do some online things and you do have to go do a six-week boot camp, officer boot camp for one summer. Uh, But beyond that, they pretty much leave you alone. And then uh, day one, when you graduate from medical school, you are governmental property. (laughs) And you are until until your commitment is up. And so... Uh, For a physician, that means you go on to internship, which is kind of a pre-residency training. It's kind of the worst year that everybody dreads as a physician. It's pretty unpleasant. So you do that. And then the Navy splits off a little bit different from some of the other branches in that they want to get their pound of flesh out of you early. And so they will actually send you right after internship off to deployments and operational billets and things like that. So 
you basically come out of med school, you have your one year of internship, and then you're taking care of people, um, which is, it's daunting, but at the same time, it makes you grow up very quickly as a physician. And, you know, it's a challenging environment, but in the long run, I think it's, it's great. It made me who I am, but certainly Mm -hmm. no money is, is free money. Right. So even though they were paying for my, for my school, you know, now they own me and my time and what I can wear and what I can say and what I, I mean, down to what color nail polish I can have, what my hair looks like, so it's certainly not free money. Um, yeah, we're gonna yeah we're gonna get to that in a second. But so, what was boot camp like as someone who was going in as a doctor and not as a soldier? So, so you go to an officer boot camp. The, the officer and enlisted boot camps are separate, and I, okay. I I suspect that our boot camp is still a lot more cushy than probably the average military officer. Uh, but I mean, for at least for the Navy, and it's very different for um, Army and Air Force, I've heard through friends who did it. But, you know, I mean, we we had someone come and flip quarters off our beds to make sure they were tucked tight enough. And if not, they'd flip your bed. And, you know, I mean, you're out doing push-ups at three in the morning and goose poop and like just all this ridiculous stuff. And you're thinking, why did I do this? <laughs> why did I not just take out loans? <laughs> Oh my God. Okay. So I know that there were like times where you had to be deployed and you were gone for long periods of time from your husband, who is my brother, but what else did they own? Like, so what, what were the regulations and then what was the ownership of your time? But first talk about the hair and the nails and everything. So anybody that has ever been in the military can certainly echo this sentiment. It's very strict, uh, and I would say probably more restrictive for those who identify as female, down to your hair color can't be, you know, it can only be within a certain range. Your nail polish has to be neutral or skin tone. You're censored as to what you can say personally. So on your social media, you can't, you know, necessarily back certain candidates for, you know, a political race or, or even, you know, social justice issues. You are... You're, you're censored and you can actually get in very big trouble if you break one of those particular laws. You're, if you, you know, show up with wrong color nail polish, they're just going to make you take it off. They're, that's not a big deal. But, you know, if you're on your social media platform and you are for or against an issue, they can actually hold charges against you because you're basically supposed to keep your mouth shut. <laughs> so. You're talking about like sort of for you, like during Black Lives Matter. Or Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. So, and I mean, they say that, you know, they support your ability to, you know, if you wanted to go protest or whatever, but you just have to make sure that, you know, nobody realizes you're associated, you know, you certainly can't go wearing a military shirt or anything like that. (laughs) (laughs) So, so yeah, I mean, it's far reaching, you know, I mean, it's your life and it's really your life when you're in the prime of it, right? Because, you know, most people, after you go to college and you're in your, you know, if you decide to do a higher education program, that's the prime of your life. So can you talk about your time? Like, did you have any say or anything? You were like whisked off to Guam for a bit. You were gone for like months. Like, how did those assignments come about? Like, were you allowed to choose any of it? So a lot of it is just positioning yourself in the right, again, right place, right time, right? So I was very lucky in that I always had very good leadership who helped me 
kind of drive my path as best as I could, but you're still, again, not an individual. So it's the needs of the the Navy. It's whatever they need, wherever they need it. And if you happen to be the warm body that's available, that's where you go. How long were you gone usually? Uh, the longest was only six months, which that's actually way better than a lot of people who are on ships full time. I mean, they're gone nine, nine plus months. Uh, and, you know, people who are, are over in the desert, and especially like army deployments, they're gone over a year. So, I mean, as far as, you know, mm-hmm. length of time, it's not insignificant, but, but no. it is, you know, again, it's, it's your time. And as a physician, that's taking away from earning potential on my end because, you know, a lot of physicians mm-hmm. do moonlighting and extra work here and there or, or, you know, consulting or, you know, some type of other income stream to supplement all just for that student loan assistance, which in, in hindsight, you know, if I had to do it again, maybe not, honestly. I just, it's not that I didn't, it wasn't a good experience and I don't want to sound like I'm ungrateful because, you know, if you can get somebody to pay for your school and you feel like it's going to be a mutually beneficial relationship, then by all means go for it, right? I mean, the student loan debt crisis is insane, but you just have to be very, very cautious and read the fine print and understand what it is you're getting yourself into and for how long of a length of time. So how come you were in for 14 years? Like when were you allowed to leave? So I could have left in, oh, I think 2013. The medical job market at that point was pretty dismal, you know, and it just, it, it wasn't a great uh, environment at that point. And honestly, back then I was still having fun. I was doing crazy things in the military, you know, jumping out of planes and, you know, crazy things that... Uh, you know, most physicians would never even dream of doing. And so Mm -hmm. at at some point, it was really a very mutually beneficial relationship. And I was okay with all the other things with being told what I can and can't stay and do. But then as you know, you get older, you realize like, more important to be around those that you love and you care for. You have this kind of internal struggle then of like, man, I feel like my life is worth more than that bottom line of that loan payment, you know? Mm -hmm. How much money would you, like how much money did you save? So whenever I went through now, I mean, it's probably way more expensive now and it depends on where you go. It was roughly about $150,000 in books, tuition fees. So, I mean, that's, that's a lot of money. (laughs) Yeah. And you came out, you didn't have to pay any of that. So yeah, as long as you fulfill your duty, which you may or may not for whatever reason, you know, if you, say you get kicked out for bad conduct, uh, then obviously you have to pay that back. But yeah, so once my um, obligation was up, then in theory, I don't, you know, owe them anything more. Had I gotten out in 2012 when I could have, I would have had to have been on a reserve list for eight years. Mm-hmm. So, but I've, I've heard from people that are on that. They don't really call you, in, but in theory, you're on a list somewhere. So you could get called from mm-hmm. your, you know, civilian life. Uh, and I didn't like that idea either. I just figured, you know, I'll just kind of ride out the rest of my time. And when I leave, it'll be a clean break. I just didn't want that hanging over my head. So if someone listening is like, okay, I need to get school paid for, what would you advise them? Like, cause I, you know, I think we've never talked about this on the show, the idea that you could have school paid for through the military. And I think it's a controversial 
thing. Absolutely. I mean, there are plenty of stuff that the military does that I don't personally agree with. And you have to, Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, reconcile that in your mind. And if you can, great. And I, you know, some people may think that makes you sound like a sellout for money and that's not it at all. But, you know, you, you learn what you can and can't compromise on. There's so many other options out there. There's a lot of public service loan options, especially for medical education specifically. There are plenty of options. It's just, again, there's always going to be something that you have to give back in return. And more often than not, you're giving back more than they're giving you. <laughs> hmm Yeah, so it's either paying back the money the way that people pay back student loans or paying that with not being able to endorse political candidates (laughs) and not being able to protest when people are protesting. And honestly, like you, I think you just got your nose pierced, right? I did. (laughs) You're like, I'm freewheeling, baby. (laughs) My rebellion continues. Well, because, you know, I I am, I will tell your listeners, I'm far older than most of them, I'm sure. But I feel like I'm in my 20s now because I I get to make my own decisions. And do what I want. And, you know, that's what you should be doing when you're in your early 20s. And I didn't have that option. Yeah. It feels very freeing now on, on the back end to be able to be like, I think I'll, I'll have this hair color or I'll have this. And, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Once you are a veteran, what are you afforded? Like, what kind of stuff happens for you then? Yeah. So a lot of it depends. You can only get military health care on the back end if you get a certain disability rating through the VA. So whenever you get out of the military, you get evaluated and see if there's any, you know, conditions that have been worsened or caused or exacerbated by the your military service. And so if you meet a certain percentage on that, you can get VA health care, which that's not an insignificant cost for people. I definitely will take advantage of military discounts. Why not, right? You know, I'll get my 10% off for my pancakes somewhere. Uh, but you know, I since I I didn't retire, I separated. Um, when you retire after twenty years, you get a pension, you get all these other things. But I I did not stay long enough for that. Um, it was just time for me to start a new chapter. Uh, you know, it was becoming more of a parasitic relationship than a symbiotic relationship. Mm -hmm. So it was Mm -hmm. just time for me to move on. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. I think this will be useful to people who are thinking about about how to pay for school. Um, I usually ask people where they would like to be found or followed, but I don't know if you want that. Um, I mean, sure, you're going to see pictures of my husband and my dog. That's it. But you're welcome to. I'm, I'm on Instagram. <laughs> I'm Amber680. Uh, so, but again, lots, lots of dogs and that's about it. <laughs> there is a lot you have to be willing to trade to get quote unquote free or free-ish school, which of course isn't really free. I think Amber highlighted that. Patricia's work is extremely important. It's obviously depressing that people have to game a system in order to afford to go to school, but if you're listening to this as a young person or as someone who loves a young person who is trying to decide what to do for further education, her interview was chock full of information, like a lot of information. This is definitely one I'm going to have to listen to multiple times, which again sort of sucks, right? 
I wish the U.S. higher education system didn't have to work like this, but either way, I'm glad anytime we do a tips and tricks episode because I know you all benefit, but oh man, oh man, guys, does it bum me out. Anyway, this was good. This was helpful. For me, this is kind of, I think, part one of a topic that I'd love to explore more of, paying for college in ways other than taking out loans. So stay tuned. And if you have any thoughts on this or if you have an idea for a good guest to talk about this more, please email me at gabbyisbadwithmoney at gmail.com or leave a comment on the Instagram at bwmpod. Let's talk about this more. Bye. Done. Done.